Isn't that already put your soul at ease just watching that video? Why don't we just take a moment, just take a deep breath right now. Just breathe in and exhale. It's great to have breathing room in our lives. And in this series, we've been talking about how do we find that room? How do we find that space in our lives? Because we're moving at a suffocating pace, right? How many of you would say you're moving at a suffocating pace day to day? It just moves so quick. Time is pushing, and we're packing so much into our life and into our world. And, and we just need to find a way to say, God, how do, you, how do you create that space in our soul? Because what's getting crowded out is, is, the, is the spirit within us. And so how do we find that room? How do we find that space? We've been talking about slowing down our pace from the suffocating pace to slow it down, to hear God's voice, to hear his gentle whisper. We talked about that. It's just physically exhausting to be running at that pace. And what does that do to our bodies and the stress and physically? And how do we even just need to take some time to rest? And last week, Michael shared about just emotionally. How do we reconnect with God? And how does prayer really help us center our lives on him and to focus on that? And today, what I want to talk about is another dimension of our lives that, that often leaves us feeling, feeling choked out at a suffocating pace, and that's financially. Finances play into this role of, of just choking out and, and, and making us financially strapped. And in that process, sometimes we don't have room to breathe. Now, how do you know if you're financially strapped? Well, financially strapped means if you might be in a situation where if you missed one paycheck, what would happen if you missed one paycheck or maybe two paychecks? Could you pay all your bills? Could you make it through? And maybe that leaves this, this constant stress under you. Is can we make it? We're just getting by from week to week. Maybe you know you're financially strapped if you've ever paid a credit card bill with another credit card. That's a good sign you're financially strapped. You've paid off one credit card with another, with another one. But if you're awake and you're thinking through and you're going, well, how do I make, these, make my ends meet? You know that, and here's another way. If you have any debt... If you have any debt whatsoever, you are financially strapped. I know it's for a house and it might be education, but if you have any debt, there's some level of being financially strapped because you have leveraged tomorrow's income for today. And now you're living off weekly payments. Now, the average consumer debt in, in, in houses that have it around the United States is about $15,000 just on consumer credit card debt. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of strain. If you've ever woken up at night wondering about how you're going to pay a bill or you're, you're anxious and you're running the numbers over and over, you're trying to figure out how you can make that thing happen in your life that you're trying to do, you might be financially strapped. But here's another way you know you might be financially strapped. When you've wanted to give, you've wanted to bless someone else or donate to a charity or, or maybe give at church or be part of the Multiply campaign or anything like that, you've wanted to give, but you feel like there's no room, there's no margin in your life to give you are probably financially strapped. If there's any stress or worry, if you've had arguments at home, or if you're married and husbands and wives, this is often one of the number one causes of, of marital strife is dealing with finances. If that's been a situation, you're, you're probably dealing, again, with financial stress, and there isn't a lot of breathing room. Now, we've been talking about a, in this series is one of our main verses is Mark chapter 8, verse 36, that says, and how do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul in the process. Is anything worth more than your soul? And isn't so much of this pursuit, even in our life of this pace, that we're pursuing something, we're trying to gain something, and finances are a huge part of that, and in the things that we want to gain in this world. And they're often good things, the things that we want to accomplish and achieve, and, and things that we, we want to have. 
But in the end, we feel that stress. Now, a few years ago, there was this commercial, and I I can't help but always think of this commercial when I think about uh, the pressures that we feel in this world to try to accumulate things and to acquire things and and trying to make it all happen. And it's a character in this commercial. His name's Stanley Johnson. Take a look and see if you can relate it all. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LennyTree.com. Remember that commercial? Good old Stanley Johnson, man. He's living the life. He's living large. And he's just got that smile on his face. But inside, even behind the facade, the wall of all these things and what looks to be success, there's a stress there. And I love that it's a lending tree commercial, right? Of all the things, let's take on, let's find you another way to get some more money. That's like somebody, you know, who's drowning and you're going to throw him a cinder block and say, here, I'm going to help you with this. But, you know, isn't it interesting as we talk about breathing room and we're looking at finances that we, that we use language in, in this uh, realm of finances that really talks about not being able to breathe. Like, I'm drowning in debt, right? You ever hear that? I'm drowning. It means I can't breathe. If you're, if you're drowning, you can't breathe, and that's what it feels like financially. I can't breathe. Or, or I'm just keeping my head above water. Just keeping my nose above water, meaning I'm just able to get a little bit of air still. But boy, if anything else gives, there's not going to be any more breathing room left. Or as we've gone through this economy and and housing prices, you know, tumbled and in the recession, what do we say about those mortgages? They're what? They're under what? Underwater. You're you're drowning. You're you're beneath what you can do. And and if you don't get a lifeline, if you don't find a way to have some breathing room, you're not going to make it. And so we want to turn to God's word today and say, what does it look like in our lives to have some breathing room when it comes to our finances? So let's take a look at God's word. And before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word speaks into every aspect of our lives. As we're trying to gain breathing room throughout this series, understanding, God, your rhythm and your pace for our lives, God, speak into this area of finances in our lives as well this morning. We trust you. We trust your word. Amen. I didn't hear any amens coming. You guys are slacking. Man, do I have to go back to where I started here a few months ago? Amen. Amen. Yes, so be it. You're with me. All right. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll have some of the scriptures up on the screen for you. What I love is that Jesus understood that finances and that money and that things play a big part in our lives, and he addresses it many, many times even in his ministry and his teaching. And here in Matthew chapter 6 is a message, a sermon that he's preaching, and he addresses stuff. He addresses things. And he begins here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty, and where they will be safe from thieves. Right there, Jesus begins and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why does he say that? Because we like to store up treasures here on earth, right? I mean, think about it. I have this mental picture sometimes when we come home from going shopping or something, and every time you walk in your house with some bags of stuff, isn't it amazing that it seems like sometimes we bring more stuff into our house than ever leaves our house? The reality is that we love stuff and we love to gather it and we love to collect it. 
And we have, you know, when we buy houses, we look at how much storage room is there, right? How many closets does it have? Does it have a three-car garage, a four-car garage, a five-car garage? Does it have an attic? We don't have basements here. I mean, basements in the Midwest and in other places. I mean, you can store all kinds of things. We love our stuff, and we love to hold on to it. And the thing is, I mean, I, I know when I think about, you know, we just moved recently, obviously, here to the area. And when I think about the progression of our lives and stuff, I remember moving the first time to, uh, to Anderson University. I went to seminary, and I remember being able to fit everything into a minivan. Fit it into a minivan and moved in. But then when Shannon and I got married, we had a condo. Then she brought her car full of stuff, just a car full of things, into our house. And we had our little condo. And then we had a baby, and we moved into a house, and I remember now needing several people to come with their trucks and to help and to move our stuff into our new house. And then when we moved to Arizona, now we had one baby, and we had another one on the way, and we tried to downsize some stuff, but it was still, it was a big container that we shipped across the country that arrived here in Phoenix. And then just a couple of months ago, when we moved now with four kids, the six of us, when we started emptying out the house, I mean, again, if you've moved, you know this, and you start going, I can't believe how much stuff I have, how much stuff we have. And it's got to be embarrassing because people from the church here were helping us move, and it was just loading up truck after truck, and, and they're unloading all our stuff, and I just get this sense of like, oh, man, everyone sees, we just like, feel like hoarders, you know, all this stuff that we have. And it, and we just love stuff, and we love things, and, and granted, we need a lot of those things for life. It's not that that stuff is unimportant, but what Jesus is realizing here is he said, there's no value in these things. They're, they're, they're useful, and you can use them now, but they deteriorate, and they get destroyed, and that car that you valued so highly, it begins to rust and begins to deteriorate and needs repairs, and that laptop that was the, the, the best one on the market you chuck in the trash because now it's slow and it's this dumb thing and the value of these things it just doesn't last. And Jesus says, look, place your value in other things. Put your treasures in heaven. We're going to talk about that later. What does that even mean, Jesus, to put your treasure in heaven? What is the connection between our money and our faith and, and how does that all work together? So Jesus continues in verse, uh, in verse 24. He says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What I find so interesting in this, and, and, and over the years here, that as we teach about finances and different things, we will continue to come back to this verse. I believe this is one of the key verses that talks about finances in, this, in, in the Bible. And what he's saying is that treasure, that finances, money, and stuff is linked to our heart. There's a direct connection here. There's a link to our, to our hearts. And actually, in the, in the verse before, and I actually skipped this, and I mean to go back to that. It's verse 21, very important. Let's go back to that. Sorry about that, Russ. It's wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. So when you think about this, where is your treasure? That's where your heart is. Think about it from investing terms. Right? If, if you invest in, in company A and company B, or let's say you invest in Apple, but you don't invest in, in Microsoft, where are you going to be paying more attention to in regards to what's happening in the market and what's happening with the company? The place where you have your finances, the place where you have your treasure, and your heart follows that, and the things you care about follow that. Now, the good thing is that finances can lead our heart. So we often think the other way around. Wherever my heart is, there my treasure is going to follow. If my heart is with this situation, then I'm going to bring, you know, this cause, then I'm going to support that cause. 
And that's true at some level. But there's a deeper principle here where we can actually use our resources to begin to lead our heart. For example, if, if you decided today, I'm going to sponsor a child in another country, monthly sponsored child. Maybe your heart's not there. You don't know this kid. Your heart's not necessarily been broken. But intellectually or in other ways, you just know it's important. We should do that. And what the heck? I'm going to sign up. I'm going to sponsor a kid for $35 a month. Your heart has no connection yet. But once you start giving and you start getting those letters back and you start hearing and, and over time, what begins to happen to your heart? Your heart is following where your resources went. And so the good news is that, that resources and finances and money and stuff can actually be a way that God uses us to focus us on the things that are important. So we need to put that in the right place. And then to talk about this tension that we were looking at in verse 24. This tension between our, our money and God. And it's this, you know, God's saying, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. He seems to put them on opposite ends of the spectrum. Because the reality is that money becomes a cruel and relentless master. Money becomes a cruel and relentless master, and we need to be aware of it. And you know the whip that money and stuff uses that drives us? It's very subtle, but it's this little thing. It's called just a little more. <laughs> just a little more. We're like, we're going after it. And you know what? We're going after it. We're trying to be reasonable. We're just going after just a little more. How many times have you ever felt, if I had just a little more, I'll be okay. I need just a little more, just a little more. And so it becomes, and so it drives us in every other facet. If I had just a little more, and remember that time when you got a little bit more, that first time you got a full-time job and you got that first paycheck? Or remember that raise, it was just a little more, maybe it was a lot more, what did you think? I'm set. This is awesome. I've got it made now. I mean, we're golden now. This, we can cover everything we need to do. We can do the things we want. And what happens after a short period of time? Whoosh. Just a little more. Just a little more. I have this now. If I could have just a little more. And, and that master continues to drive us. Look at this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19, spoken by Solomon, a wealthy and, and king. He says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. This problem has existed for hundreds of thousands of years, and we still don't get it. I still don't get it. We still think that money can bring us that happiness. Now, money can bring us good things and, make us in, and allow us to enjoy some great things in life, but true happiness, how absurd, the Scripture says, that we would think that. And yet we continue to, to buy into that lie, that having more will satisfy me. Having more will fulfill me. And if we really, I think, are honest with ourselves, many, many of us would probably, if we looked at our lives, would have to come to a realization that something that drives us is this pursuit of wealth, is this pursuit of money, that if we can get money, it will bring us life. And what we're doing is we're replacing money with God's Spirit. We're saying that in breathing room in our lives, I don't need God's spirit, I need more money. God's spirit is nice, and the things of God are nice, but really, this world and this economy runs on money. And if I had more money, that would give me breathing room. So more money equals more oxygen, more ability to breathe. And in strictly financial terms, that seems true, right? You have more money, you can do more things, and it answers some questions. And we've all seen that in our lives happen. But at the same time, it doesn't bring us that fulfillment. It doesn't let our soul come alive and pretty soon we may be feeling financially choked out again. 
So if money is not our oxygen and God's spirit is, how do we make sense of God and money? This, this tension that Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. Now I'm guessing because you're here in church today that uh, if I asked you that question, who do you want to serve? Do you want to serve God or money? What's our answer? <laughs> we want to serve God. Right, so you want to go, what, okay, what does that mean? If we want to serve God, then what do we do with money? How do we put that in the right perspective? How do we deal with our stuff and things in light of wanting to serve God and yet being in an economy, in a world where money and, and stuff is an everyday part of our lives? How do we find that breathing room and release that chokehold of just a little more, the chokehold of want and that wonderful thing called retail therapy? Isn't retail therapy great? It works. It works for very short periods of time. But sometimes we're in a culture that does that. I just need to feel good. I need to get something new. That new, uh, you know, a new shirt or, you know, a, a new phone or, or something makes me feel good. How do we release that grip and find, find that, that balance? Well, we're going to look at three shifts this morning. I want to look at three shifts that I think will take us to ever deeper levels of finding breathing room according to God's word. The first one is this. The first shift Stop focusing on what you don't have. Stop focusing on what you don't have. Now, if you're in the advertising business or in marketing, there's one thing that you want to do for people. You want to remind them of what they don't have. And so everything that we see, every commercial that we see, everything that's out there, every billboard, everything that's trying to get our attention online is wanting to make some, some statement to us that says, you don't have this and you need this. And it's making us discontent and saying, pursue this. And, and, and we start thinking, I want that. That would really help my life. Now, I just saw on, on Facebook this last week an ad that went around for this new drone. It is like really lightweight, you know, and, and takes video, and you can put it in your backpack, and you just take it. And when you want to take video of yourself, it has this little transmitter on your watch. You just take it, and you just throw it up in the air, and it starts flying around. And then because it's honed in on your little device, it like circles around you and takes all this awesome footage of your life, right? Like all the cool stuff you're doing that you can share with friends. You can even throw it in the water, and it comes out. And it's like, that is pretty awesome. I want that. Because people want to see me sitting in my office with a drone flying around going, wow, he lives an exciting life. But see, it, it creates this like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. And, 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 and now I want something that I didn't even know existed before. And that's the desire that, that's often there. And so we start focusing on what we don't have. But we've been talking about rhythm and breathing and slowing down throughout this whole series. Some of us just need to slow down with our spending. We're in a frantic mode of, of acquiring things, of accumulating things, and a hope of that filling us in some way. And the reality is we're not finding any breathing room in that. Now, we could just stop here and, and say it as simple as, stop spending money. You want more breathing room financially? Stop spending money. Go home. Goodbye. Have a great week. Anyone can give you that advice. And, and Dave Ramsey actually gives some, some great advice if you ever follow him. He says, stop buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't like. <laughs> right? You want me to say, say that again? Stop spending money you don't have for things you don't, wait, now I forgot, for things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. And that's so much of our culture. And, and, and we could just stop right there and say, okay, just stop that. That would create some margin. That would create some breathing room. And it's important. And that is an important step. But first, we got to change our focus off the things, right, that we don't have. 
Because that's one of those carrots that keeps dangling in front of us and moving us forward. Now, the second shift is this. It's the inverse of that. It's appreciate what you do have. Appreciate what you do have. Gratitude leads us to contentment. And contentment is a big piece that's lacking in our world because everything's trying to keep us discontent and move us for the things that, that we don't even need, but all of a sudden we think, ah, I gotta have that. One way to change that is the focus looking at what do you have? Now, my cousin taught me this uh, years ago. He was studying. He came from, from Germany to study at seminary, and he left uh, his, his job, and he left his car and stuff back, back in Germany. He came as a poor student over to seminary. And apartment, he was living in a small apartment, and, he, and somebody gave him a really old laptop, even for the time, and he just had a bike to get around and was living very simply. But I remember him just telling me, he said, every day, I just thank God for my apartment, I thank God for my laptop. I thank God for my bike. And it just reminded me to be grateful for what we have. And I wonder if we just took some time and actually took some time to thank God for the very things that you have stuff. It might seem unspiritual, but thank God for the stuff that you have. Thank him for your phone, that you don't need to have the next newest phone. Look around your house. Look at your closet and go, God, thank you for this closet of clothes. God, thank you for this car that I drive with 220,000 miles and a cracked windshield. But thank God it's paid for. It's my car. <laughs> thank God for your job. Thank him for the things that are around you and start realizing that God's provided and I have enough. And it begins to, to, to take away some of that pull for what's next. Look at this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 where Paul, who went through all different kinds of situations, he's, he's writing this passage, and I think it's really at the heart of this passage, uh, contentment comes through. He says, For I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. You know, whatever his situation, he looks and he says, you know what, I'm content. God is providing for me. And the things I have, it's enough. Much or little, full or plenty, I, God's given me enough. Sometimes I, as I thought about this, I wondered, what would it look like if for six months we didn't spend another penny on extra stuff? What if you didn't buy one more article of clothing for the next six months? Would there be a day that you're naked? I think you'd, I think you'd, you'd have clothes. What if you didn't buy another toy or another electronic gizmo and you kept watching the 60-inch TV that you already have instead of the 85-inch? Are you going to be okay? <laughs> if you didn't have another purse or pair of shoes, am I talking to anyone here today? <laughs> I mean, we could go, we could go without, and we'd still be okay. And I think that might create some of that breathing room to just slow down the pace and to stop this obsessive accumulation that our culture continues to pour in on us. So the first shift is away from our stuff and towards what we already have, our second shift. Now, what's the third shift? It's a shift towards God and others, and it's to become a generous giver. Now, this seems to go against the very fact of breathing room. This seems to go against the very fact of breathing room in our finances because this is the piece that often gets crowded out first. It's the thing that's on the bottom of our list. If I have extra, then I will give. 
And I'd love to give more, but I can't. I know over the years, even people have said, man, if I won the lottery, man, I'd support, I'd support that new building project you're doing. I'm like, well, I'm not waiting on a lottery. God is not waiting on that. You know, he, we think if I, if I received something, then I can give it. But becoming a generous giver is actually where we begin to find some breathing room in our souls because God's nature is to give. He is a giver. And he designed us to be givers. And what he, what, what he said to Abraham in the Old Testament still applies for all these generations. He says, I will bless you to be a blessing to others. See, and that's where breathing room comes in in our finances when the blessings God gives us, we use to bless others. If you've ever seen water that's just stagnant in a pond, right? If it has no fresh water flowing in it, it just becomes stagnant. And bacteria grows and, and, and you know, diseases and other things gather in that and you can't drink that water. But a, a water source and a river and a stream that's flowing and continues to have a source and has an outflow continues to be fresh and be fueled and be, and, and, and be that life-giving source. God's asked us to be a conduit of his goodness. We just get to be a blessing to others from what he's given us. But like I said, many times this gets crowded out in our lives. The power of giving is that it breaks the power of money over us. Because money in its left kind of on its own has this, this drawing power of wanting it to be accumulated and to be used for stuff and for ourselves. Giving is the antithesis of that. Giving breaks that stronghold and says this is how money can be a blessing and money can be used in a way and our stuff can be used in a way to bless others. And it begins to bring fulfillment. It begins to bring freshness when we give and let that flow through us. A lot of us have getting goals in our life. We have goals of things we want to get, meaning vacations we want to go to, the kind of house we want to have, the kind of car we want to drive, the types of clothes we want to wear, the restaurants we want to eat at, the things that we want to have, the toys we want to get. We have getting goals. I wonder if things would flip around for us if we started setting some giving goals instead of getting goals. And we start thinking about, what do I want to invest myself in? What do I want to pour myself in? See, this comes back to what, what Jesus was talking about. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What do treasures in heaven even look like? What's the only thing that goes on after this life? Our souls. People. And what Jesus is saying is, invest in things that have eternal value. Invest in the things of the kingdom that aren't going to deteriorate and depreciate and have no value and have no lasting satisfaction. But when you invest in people and you invest in souls, things begin to change. What are the things of the kingdom that matter? Do you have room in your life to bless and to be a blessing to others? You know, every, every week we talk about if this is your church home and, and if you want to, you know, to support the ministries that are here, this is one way that you store up treasures in heaven. How so, you might say. Because when you give, you are being a blessing to someone else. Everything that you do, everything that you give, you have a part in the ministry of this church whose vision and whose heart and desire is to gather people to turn hearts and minds towards Christ, to love the others with no strings attached and to multiply our impact beyond these walls. And that can only be done through the resources that are provided. And so when you provide that there's curriculum for children right now on the other side of these walls that are being taught the love of Christ, it's because you gave. 
that these lights are on and that, there's, that you can hear what's being spoken and, and that, that we create this environment where we can worship and, and even have a place to gather, it's because you gave because you're laying treasure up in heaven. Every time someone gets baptized here and whose life has been transformed or puts a prayer request on that cross and, and life change is happening, you're laying up treasures in heaven because transformation is happening. And you get to be a part of it. And you know that will not be destroyed. Moth and rust, it cannot deteriorate that. It has longevity. It has a lifespan of making a difference for the kingdom. That's laying up treasures in heaven. And just maybe a challenging question for us this morning is, are you at least as generous for the things of the kingdom of God as you are for yourself? Are you at least as generous for the things of the kingdom of God as you are for yourself? Because that's where that freedom comes, that chokehold of getting and having and just a little more. There's a freedom that comes in saying, God, what do you want me to be about? As we get quiet and still and ask, God, how can you use me? Thank you, God. We have a, a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done. We shift our focus away from the stuff that's out there and we start looking and, and thanking God for what he's given us. And then we look out and say, God, how can you allow me to bless others? And all of a sudden there's this rhythm, there's this flow of God's spirit as he blesses us to allow us to be a blessing to others. Really what comes down to it here is it's a faith and a trust issue in God. Do you believe that God will continue to provide? And are you thankful for what he's done in your life? And just breathe that in and give thanks as you exhale. As we close, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. I just want you to listen. This comes right after what Jesus has been speaking about here, and he just asks these questions and, and tries to put our mind at ease. And here's what he says. So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. I just want to close in prayer. And I just want you to think and to express your gratitude to God and to thank him. If you have worry, if you have anxiety over financial stresses in your life right now, bring those to him. Let him know about those things. And maybe God's putting something on your heart that just says, here's a person you can bless or a cause you can be involved in or something here at the church where God would say, use me to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, we are thankful that, Jesus, that you took the time 
to speak into this daily reality that that stuff and things and treasure can, can have a hold on our heart and you don't want us to be strangled by that or inhibited by that. God, we don't want to gain the whole world and lose our soul. Father, may we just find our wellness and our being and our wholeness in you. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for this amazing church and the resources that are used here each and every week to change lives. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom in this way. And Lord, we pray that many treasures would be found in heaven because of the work that is being done here through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.